If you'll remain standing with me, if you're able, we'll turn now to our sermon passage from Matthew 13. You can find in your worship folder and, of course, your scripture uh, personal Bible. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that is thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age, the angels will come out, will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into a fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? They said to him, yes. And he said to them, therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out his treasure, what is new and what is old. The word of the Lord. Lord, I pray this morning that you would enlighten our hearts, that we may see the truth that you put before us, and that you would still motivate us to act on it. I pray you would be with Pastor Andrew as he brings this word, as you work this in his life, and our working in his life, I pray that you would help him to communicate what you want to work in our lives with and continue to work in our lives with. And I pray, Lord God, as a result of this time, we'd be equipped and motivated and strengthened to send this word into the world that we go. All by your Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Well, good morning again. If you're visiting, glad that you are here. It's good just to be together. It's the first Sunday of the new year. Epiphany, making manifest, seeing hidden things. Uh, so much of it uh, definitely has to do with the light that was cl- supposedly clear to the Jews, being made known to the Gentiles. But it's this whole idea of manifestation, right? Seeing things that were hidden. I think of dogs. And I love dogs. Um, I won't comment on cats. Uh, but uh, <laughs> I know some of you like them. We can talk later. But I love dogs. And one of the reasons I love dogs, uh, they just have this amazing ability to inhabit a world that we cannot see. Uh, Part of it is because we rely on our eyes so much, and our eyes are great, right? Very valuable. Uh, We love our eyes. But they don't allow us to experience the world the way a dog does. Because a dog experiences a world through its 
knows. You know, we have about 6 million receptors, uh, olfactory receptors, you know, that help us smell. The average beagle has over 300 million of those receptors. So they are experiencing a whole world that, that we're oblivious to. I mean, we're, we're there. We walk along it, and we perhaps see things that they don't see, but they are smelling things that we can never even experience. I remember one time I was out in the backyard with one of our dogs, and, uh, you know, every morning I take them out, and they just, they're going all around, and you have no idea, like, why they're going in certain areas, you know, and that. And then that day it had happened, we had a light snowfall. And so I was able to track all of her steps and see where she go. And, and sure enough, at, at different points, I could see what, was, what it was that led them there. The, the snow helped me to, you know, sort of retrace the steps and make manifest things that otherwise would have been hidden to me, but were plain to my dog because of their sense of smell. So we come to the, the parables of Jesus, and this is where we're going to be walking these next several weeks, these parables of Jesus. Uh, the parables of Jesus are, in one sense, designed to help us see, particularly if we're equipped with a certain kind of sense, uh, the kind of sense that is, is open to the kingdom of God to help us see the, the kingdom of God more clearly, to, to make manifest the, the things that are hidden. And, and those are for all different types of people, right? Uh, people that are young and old, people that are religious and irreligious, people who uh, are, are comfortable in their way of life right now, and then people also who are, find themselves in places of discomfort. But parables also reveal the fact that we don't all see equally. And, and this is kind of a hard truth, and, and we're going to wrestle with that. But even watching how Jesus uses parables in his ministry reveals this. You know, this chapter here in Matthew 13, where he is going through and, and teaching all of these parables of the kingdom, is a time when people are leaving Jesus. You know, the, there was a time in his ministry where the crowds were coming, but then there was a time when the crowds were leaving. And it was more so uh, his true disciples, the ones that were equipped with the, with the sense that allowed them to hear and to, to take in the messages of the kingdom. And we're going to walk through some of those ideas in the coming weeks as well. Just a couple of things. Then before we dive into sort of the end of Matthew chapter 13, uh, about parables in the kingdom in general, there are many different kinds of parables, uh, but it has, and I think rightly been pointed out, that they are primarily designed to capture the listener, they're stories designed to capture the listener, and to make you a participant, overturning your worldview, and leading you to call into question your most basic values. This is why Jesus was telling parables. 
because he wanted to draw you in and invite you to say, you know, is this really the source, the impetus, the, the core of how I see the world? Um, and, and again, this is something that we need friend of mine uh, recently said this, there, there are a couple of different types of interpretations of scripture that I like. So this is a friend of mine speaking, okay? Uh, he says, there's the true one uh, that, that really makes my life better in which I experience joy. And then there's also this comfortable one that makes me feel better about myself uh, or superior to somebody else. And I'm working on replacing the latter with the former. I, I think that's what parables really help us move towards. They, they want that, that first interpretation of Scripture where we see the world as it really is. We see things that might be otherwise hidden. It's like that thin blanket of snow that helps us to see where the hidden treasures are that we might ordinarily miss so that our lives can really be full of joy, you know, so that we won't be satisfied with the things that simply make us feel better about ourselves or maybe make us feel superior to other people. And then these parables are about the kingdom. Some of you will recognize, you know, we took as our, you know, title for the series, Tales of the Kingdom, uh, I, I really love those books by David and Karen Maines. Uh, we have them in the library here. They're uh, sort of allegory uh, stories uh, about the Christian life. Uh, but the kingdom that Jesus refers to, you know, is so, is so again, we're going to keep going through this as we go throughout the course of the week. But the kingdom, it, it's not a place per se. It's not a political power, per se. It's not these types of things that we might normally associate with a kingdom. There is definitely a king, but as one person puts it, the kingdom is more a power than a place. It's, it's more a rule uh, or a reign than a realm. You know, it refers to the kingship of God which takes on new and greater dimensions on an earth inaugurated with Christ's first coming, but that is definitely consummated in his second coming. So on the one hand, when we start to talk about the kingdom, it, it's forcing us to see beyond what we can see. You know, it's not affiliated with dollars and cents or uh, a political ideology or any of these things that are, are tangible to us now. Yet at the same time, it's very present. You know, we don't want to, we don't want this idea that this kingdom or this kingship is, is, is spiritual in the sense that it has no bearing on this world. But it's a relationship with the king that gives us a different kind of power and a different kind of currency that allows our lives to the fullness. So those are the types of things that we are going to be touching on over the course of the couple of weeks. And I wanted to start with the, toward the end of this chapter, a famous chapter on parables of the kingdom, just to start with sort of the culmination. And 
And what is it that Jesus is desiring to capture the imagination of our hearts? You know, what is it that Jesus is proclaiming and how is it that we are to orient ourselves to it? So, we have these few parables here. The parable of the treasure in the field, the merchant. We have the parable of the net. Uh, and then we have the parable of the, of the steward or the master of the house who brings out the treasures. Four parables. And what I want us to see today is that this kingdom is worth more than anything that we currently have. Uh, and, and it's worth pursuing, uh, though it may cost us anything. So what do the parables primarily teach? Parables are not allegories. Uh, some of you are familiar with allegorical uh, stories, you know, where there is one thing that lines up with this and the other. Sometimes we, we think that because in Jesus' uh, explanations, he'll say, this is this and this is this, still is not an allegory. Many of the early church fathers, you know, were very allegorical in their interpretation of Scripture. Some crazy things uh, that were said with regards to that, not the directions that we want to go. I think, uh, uh, you know, uh, what's the word I want, I'm, I'm looking for, you know, good scholarship sees that parables usually have as many points in them as they have characters. So, you can, uh, you know, take one of the most well-known parables, a parable of the two lost sons, right? We often call it the prodigal son. You have three characters. You have the father, you have the son who goes, and then you have the son who stays. Uh, and, and there are three clear lessons in that parable. We learn something about God you know, as represented by the Father. We learn something about those who go in search of other things other than God as represented by the lost son. But then we also learn something about the hypocrisy of our hearts uh, represented by the older son. So three characters, you know, three sort of main ideas. In these parables, uh, we, we primarily have one character. So there is a, a main idea that God wants us to see. And, and for these parables, and I'm especially focusing here on the hidden treasure in the merchant, uh, 44 and 45 in our text. For these parables, the main idea that Jesus wants us to see is that there is a kingdom... There is a reality within the created order. There is a reality that is worth more than anything else that this world has to offer. It is of surpassing worth. Nothing compares. Nothing compares to the absolute worth of, of, of knowing the kingdom of God. It is like a treasure. You know, we're not told how much the treasure is, but we're clear that it's a treasure. We're, it, it's like the worth of this pearl. We're not told exactly how much it's worth, but the artisan can discern its value. It is worth more than anything that we can find. It has surpassing worth. And this is something that we need to be reminded of. We, we need to be reminded that out of all of the things that we seek, you know, big things, little things, you know, we seek 
big things. We, we seek relationships with one another. We want them to be whole. We want to bless others. We want to be blessed in them. We seek, uh, we think things like marriage and family raising. We think, seek things like a, a earthly vocation that is leading us into a job arena and a career. And, and, and we oftentimes want to use those to bless those around us by teaching or by serving in some way, going into medicine, standing for justice, all of these different things. Uh, all of these things, good though they are, they're insufficient as an ultimate thing they have to be taken underneath the kingdom, the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the thing that is, uh, is of surpassing value. Nothing, nothing can compare to being a part of this kingdom, having a relationship with the king, living out kingdom values, all of these things. And we're going to be playing that out. That's, that's our whole, the next 10 weeks or however many weeks we have, you know, that is what we're going to be exploring, the nature of this kingdom. But right now, the point is, there is nothing else that you can pursue that would equal the worth of this kingdom. The second thing that's really interesting is that there are different ways that we come into this kingdom. Notice that, and, and this is where some of the details of the parables help us. In, in the first parable, you have a man, presumably a worker, who is in a field, and he stumbles upon a treasure, right? Uh, he's just out digging, uh, and, and he stumbles upon his treasure. He covers it up, and this parable is not meant to say anything about the ethicality of uh, the man covering up the treasure and then going to buy the field. That's where you get into danger if you start pressing the details too far. In the second parable, though, you have a merchant who is looking for pearls. You have somebody who is trained to be able to see something of great value. Two very different types of people. And that should be encouraging to us. Because we recognize that this kingdom is of inestimable worth and value. But one of the things that Jesus wants us to say is that it comes to people... In different ways. Some of you are here because you are searching. You want to know and, and you've trained yourself. You, you go to Bible studies and, and you read the word regularly and you want to seek out the, the worth, the value of the kingdom. You want to experience it more and more. You want it for yourselves. Others of you, uh, others of us are, are, are here completely by accident. You know, maybe you're literally here this morning by accident. You thought you were going to Christ Church, a different Christ Church, you know, and you ended up here. Or others of you even just know this in your experience. You weren't raised in a Christian home, but you happened to be in a place at a time, and you discovered this truth, this value, all of these things. It, it comes to all sorts of different people. And, and here's the reality. You know, this is not meant to just make a bifurcation in people. It's meant to show us that there are times in our own lives where we're searching out the kingdom. And then there are other times in which the kingdom blindsides us. We, we are made to see something that we weren't even looking for. 
Uh, perhaps it's on a walk, perhaps it's in a conversation with a child, and, and you see the kingdom in all of its beauty, uh, and we experience in that way. So here's this kingdom, it's of inestimable worth, and it comes to all sorts of people, sometimes when you're looking for it, sometimes when you're not. So that's what the parables are teaching, you know, just in, in a broad scope. So how do we respond to that? What are they inviting us to? And I just want to give us a, a couple of thoughts today. And again, we're going to be developing these in more detail, focusing you know, a little bit tighter in different areas as we walk through the remaining study of the parables. But first notice that these parables call for sober reflection on our part. You know, notice what Jesus says is it in verse 50 or 49? Verse 51. Uh, have you understood these things? He's talking to his disciples. And he's saying, look it, I, I've given you this, this wonderful teaching. Have you understood these things? Look into your heart and see if you have understood them. There's something here that Jesus is saying. You know, it's not... It's not just about being here. It's not just about going through the motions. It's about understanding. It's about having these truths written on your hearts. And as such, it's a question that comes to each one of us today. I mean, I don't know all of your journeys. I see a lot of familiar faces. That means I see you often, you know, in this sort of setting. Some of you have been filling these same chairs for, for decades, uh, for decades. But have you understood these things, the Savior asked his disciples. And there's an invitation there to, to sober reflection as we come into 2019. You know, can, can we hear the Savior saying, have you understood these things? Have you have you brought them into your, your very, the very core of your being? And, and part of the reason why Jesus says this is that, you know, part of the reason why he speaks in parables is that there is a realization that there are those who are equipped with a sense of smell or the ability to see hidden things. And then there are those who are not. I mean, you saw the, the parable of the net in 47 to 50. You know, there's a separation coming at, at the end of the age in, in which the, the good catch is separated from the bad catch. And the bad catch is thrown into this fiery furnace and burned. Now, again, this it makes us uncomfortable. Uh, it, it, it makes us as Christians uncomfortable to, to talk about judgment, particularly in the climate in which we live. But you know, Jesus talked about things like money and hell more than any other teacher. You know, they, they, he, he talked about those types of topics almost more than he talked about mercy and grace. Those are the topics that we avoid. But Jesus wasn't afraid to go there. You know, and we're going to be asking ourselves that question. 
But it's true, each week when we come to the table or each month, you know, there's a divide there. Not, not everybody is part of Jesus' family. We, we can't all say, you know, thy will be done. You know, we can't all say your body, your blood for mine. This is my priceless treasure. This is my hope. Jesus asks us, have you understood these things? You know, is this where your life is oriented? Is this the center of who you are? And then he reminds us, you know, that the, the cost for discipleship is on the one hand, Nothing. Jesus paid it all. All to him I own. But on the other hand, it's everything. You know, for these folks that gained the treasure, what did it cost them? It cost them everything. He went and sold. They went and sold all that they had in order to acquire this one thing. Now, in the end, did it cost them anything? Well, no, because they were repaid, you know, in spades, in full, more and more and more. But it is a reminder that there can be no competition for this king. You know, the identity that you so carefully are procuring for yourself, you've got to lay it down. You've got to lay it down, your successes, your achievements, your skills, your abilities. You've got to lay it down in order to be found in Christ. The, uh, you know, the religious rightness that you are so meritoriously pursuing. The orthodoxy. You've got to lay it down. Because in the end, it, it's going to be what you have. And it's not going to be sufficient to what you need. Jesus is the only one who has what you need. So it costs us everything. We, we've got to die to ourselves. And note, and this is, this is the best news of all, right? That this is a path that has already been blazed by our Savior. You know, in a certain sense, we were the treasure that he found. We were the treasure that was out there in the field. And he did not consider the riches of heaven something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing in order to gain the treasure that would resound to the glory of his Father. He who was rich, yet for our sakes, became poor in order that we, through his poverty, might become rich. It's the end of self, or you could just as well say it's the beginning of your true self. You know, the, the, the beauty that is hidden when we're only seeing through our six million ophicatory senses. You know, Jesus is saying, become dogs. You know, let this world of of olfactory delicacies be open to you. Don't be content with only what you can see with your eyes. And that is what is going to bring us to joy. You see that, 
this entrance into joy. Verse 44, the, the man, when he had sold everything, uh, or even in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. It, it's laced with joy. True story. There was a uh, gem dealer strolling through the aisles at the Tucson Gem and Mineral Store when he noticed a blue-violet stone the size and the shape of a potato. He went to look it over, and, and then as calmly as possible, uh, asked the vendor, you want $15 for this? The seller, realizing the rock wasn't as pretty as the others, lowered the price to, well, you can have it for 10 the stone has since been certified as a 1,905 carat natural star sapphire, about 800 carats larger than the largest stone of its kind. It was appraised at $2.28 million. Imagine his joy when he found, <laughs> when he found this stone. And that's what Jesus is inviting us to. It's an entrance into joy beyond anything that this world can offer. So whether you are a merchant searching or you are a workman stumbling and through the dark, you know, find the treasure. When you see it, grasp hold of it and know the joy and then share it. That's what that last parable is about. You know, the, the householder who brings out of his treasure stores, both new and old. This particularly was difficult for the Jews. The Jews, you know, had a way of seeing things. And Jesus came and said, you've been seeing things, but they've been limited. Let me enlarge your vision. And I want you to bring out not only the promises of the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, but the fulfillment of the New. You need to invite in the Gentiles. Epiphany, right? You need to share over and over. And you bring out of your treasure store new and old. And that's what Jesus is saying to you. In your joy, in the ravishing of your heart, may you share and share freely with all those around who are either searching or stumbling through life. One of our traditions here at Christchurch over the years has been to have a testimony, each epiphany. It's talking about the, the light of the world and, and how it shines forth. This morning, I want to invite Beth Cusero to come. Uh, many of you know Beth. Some of you do not. Beth uh, was a Calvin student here uh, from... Uh, 12 to 16, 2012 to 2016, and then in 2016, we had the opportunity to help send her to Niger, which was a country sometimes known as Niger, a uh, country in Africa where she grew up, and she went back and taught school for a couple of years there. She then uh, came back this summer and has taken up a post teaching at Potter's House, uh, but she's going to share a little bit with us uh, about uh, epiphany in Niger and the hearts and lives of young people, but then also the epiphany of her own heart. So thank you, Beth, for coming and sharing with us. My favorite thing to tell people about my first grade class in Niger was that I had six students from six different countries on five different continents, and I loved it. They said cute things like, sorry calculator, I don't need you now, 
Or, Miss Cussero, why are you so old and you're not married yet? <laughs> or when praying about snakes, thank you that some are dangerous and some are squeegee. And sweet things like, stickers don't matter, what matters is God. Those kids found everything to be new and exciting. Mixing colors, using simple machines, discovering shortcuts to math, and moving up reading levels. The whole class celebrated every time another student completed first grade reading. But the best part was that, of all, that all those Bible stories that we've heard hundreds of times by adulthood, they were all new and exciting for my students. One week we were learning about the tabernacle. To be honest, at the beginning of that particular Bible unit, I wasn't too excited. I'm not really big into reading instruction manuals, and sometimes reading about the construction of the tabernacle feels kind of like that but it was in the curriculum, so I did it. We talked about the construction of the tabernacle and all the kids colored cute pictures with their own interpretations of blue, purple, and red curtains and what they looked like. And then I left the curriculum behind and told the kids some really devastating news. Had they lived in the time of the tabernacle, they would not have been allowed in, not into the court and definitely not into the presence of God in the most holy place. I'd been telling my students all year how much God loved them and wanted to be with them, so this made them mad, which was exactly the reaction I was going for. I can be a really mean teacher sometimes. So I told them about the temple built after the tabernacle and how it was the same thing, a heavy curtain separating God from his people. Little kids from Niger, Nigeria, the US, South Korea, Brazil, and the Netherlands would certainly never have been invited into the very presence of God. I told you this was devastating news, and that's exactly what I saw reflected in their faces. Disappointment, anger, and confusion. I had good intentions to stretch the Bible lessons out over the whole week, but we couldn't stop there. So I asked them if they remembered the story of Jesus on the cross. Of course, yes. So I opened up the Bible and read a little verse from Matthew 27. And when Jesus cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. I pointed out the part about God tearing the curtain because the tear started at the top. And almost before I could ask why that was important, a little girl named Faith nearly shouted, anybody can come in. The kids were bubbling over with joy and it was my delight to tell them that the good news didn't stop there. Because not only does Jesus' death on the cross allow us into his presence, but he will come into us and we can be his temple. My first graders were ready to kneel down right then and ask God to come and live in them. It was amazing. This is the same story that I shared with my supporting churches in Wisconsin. I share this one because it's the best story, yes, but also because I didn't get too many like it. I have a tendency to be a little too honest sometimes, so I'm going to be completely honest with you. Nothing about, not everything about my time in Niger was easy, happy, and exciting. Not every story shows so clearly how God was at work. Being a missionary did not mean that I had a flourishing, joyful relationship with God. I struggled with trust, perseverance, faith, and forgiveness. I got hurt emotionally, and many days I was a serious mess. There's a Jason Gray song that says, the more broke you are, the more the light gets through. Some days, that's easy to believe. Other days, I just don't see it. If God is supposed to be strong in my weakness, I would wonder, where is his strength now? About a week ago, I was hit with several things that kept stripping away who I thought I was and what I thought I had. It was like my security, my identity, and my righteousness were under attack and getting taken out one by one. 
I know this all happened six months after I left Niger, so if you're like me, you're asking, how is that at all related to what I shared before? Short and sweet, right? Who likes stories about kids accepting Jesus as their savior? But God moved in my life more by breaking me down than letting me in on inspiring stories. When I came to the end of myself so many nights in Niger, when I continue to come to the end of myself here, the light does shine through the broken places. When a battle leads me to surrender, all I have left is Christ. When a dear friend's painful words reveal to me that who I claim to be is a facade, the only identity I have left is in Christ. When my plans, no matter how great I think they are, never come to be, all I have left is God's plan, and God is so faithful, he never fails. So this is my testimony. I was blessed to see God working through me in exciting ways in the lives of my students, and I am blessed to see God working through me in less exciting ways the more I fail and fall short. Both are opportunities to see God, and we are a body. This is not just my testimony, it is our testimony together. You as individuals and as a church body supported me in Niger, and you continue to support me in other ways now that I'm back. Thank you for being a part of God's story in my life, and thank you for letting me be a part of God's story in your life. We're going to stay. Let's, let's pray together. Lord, we are so humbled as we recognize your priceless treasure of the, the kingdom that you have wrought, both in the ways that it invites temple veil torn into all types of people welcome. We love to hear the stories that, that Beth has shared of, of people of all different backgrounds coming and recognizing the, the great gift for them. And Lord, we also love to hear how you meet us in the broken places. We also love to hear how you meet us when, when things aren't so perfect because we know that that proves the pricelessness of this treasure. Lord, we live in a world that only sees strong, or strength as strong, that only sees riches as wealth. Lord, but we're learning to, to see differently. We're learning to, to understand with those senses that aren't always so apparent. So keep doing that in our hearts, particularly as we come to the table this morning. Lord, you're speaking to us of a, of a kingdom that while very present, not everybody can see. You're speaking to us of a king who is ruling even now, but not everybody bows down to. Lord, we pray that you would increase through uh, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, increasing the faith in our hearts that we would be strengthened at your table this morning. Use these common elements to bless us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.